Welcome to the Marketing Schematic, the podcast that dives into the rapidly transforming manufacturing industry and how sales and marketing teams are driving business forward. In each episode, we'll explore marketing, business, and operational trends in manufacturing and talk to subject matter experts about what they're doing to stay ahead of it all. We are back with another episode of the Marketing Schematic, the podcast all about marketing and business development for manufacturers and B2B. Um, you have me, Ann Cotter, and Chad Spotty as usual. Hey, Chad. Hey, Ann. And our special guest for today is Lloyd Brown, Director of Sales and Marketing at Marlin Technologies. Thank you, Lloyd, for being here and welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Lloyd. Um, so I will, I'll give a brief intro to you, Lloyd, but I'm sure you can fill in any gaps later, but this is, this is just what I know about you. So having worked <laughs> with you in the past, um, you have lots of experience leading manufacturing companies to reach their business development and revenue goals, come with a lot of experience when it comes to sales and marketing, um, specifically strategic planning. And I think you've worked in a lot of manufacturing fields and industries. So it ties in perfectly with what we're talking about today, which is performing a SWOT analysis. So the discussion will be mostly on what kind of makes up a SWOT analysis, what's the SWOT of it all, and then you know um, just the process of putting that together and how it feeds into your overall sales and marketing strategy. So thank you again for being here. Well, I can't believe that I've uh, that you've only had positive things to say about me. We've worked together. A little bit. <laughs> I might be we had to re- a little bit. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had to redline. We had to redline the bio a little bit. It so. seems about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Just just for a little more framing. I mean, I'm a I'm a recovering engineer, so I started my career in engineering. That worked in manufacturing, and then um, was actually surprisingly decent at it while being kicked out of, uh, manufacturing and engineering and into sales and marketing. So most of my career has been <laughs> commercial leadership and, yeah. and in the last 20 years, all been really with smaller, um, small to medium size companies and all manufacturers. So. Cool. Yeah. And then, um, in a little bit here too, we'll talk about kind of what you're doing over at Marlin technologies and you can kind of give the elevator pitch into what they do too. Um, But before we get into all of that, we do like to start with a little icebreaker. Uh, So totally unrelated (laughs) to the topic of today's episode, but we like to start with this just because it's fun. Um, I feel like this question came from me and Anne having a lunch with you. I feel like when we started this. (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's like tailored for Lloyd, but go ahead. Yes, this is a good question for you, Lloyd. So Chad tells me a lot that I need to go travel because I don't have a mortgage or kids and I work from home. So or dog or, or a dog. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm taking travel recommendations. So what is one of the <laughs> what is one of the best places that you've traveled to or would recommend yeah. going? Well, uh, for fun, uh, I definitely prefer Western Europe. And I would say in the last few years I've been to Spain several times. And I would say Spain is my favorite. Um, nothing wrong with Italy or Germany also, but Spain is just Spain and it's great. When I go there, I can pretend that my, uh, really fairly terrible Spanish is passable uh, <laughs> and feel good about myself that way. But, uh, other than that, yeah, Spain is great. South Spain is spectacular. 
Cool. Awesome. Very cool. So you started that with for for fun, go there. Is there a place that you would go not for fun? <laughs> uh, I've done a ton of business travel. Um, so I've been to every state in the country and been yeah. to, I don't know, 20 countries or something like that. So I mean, yeah. it's I, there's a lot of people who've traveled a great deal more than me. But um, yeah, I mean, your picture of a Hampton Inn in Decatur, Illinois isn't really what you were <laughs> like, thinking. Eh, it's okay. <laughs> then there's it's just a, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's completely yeah. unrelated. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Europe is at the top of the list for me. I've never been anywhere in Europe and Spain I've heard is beautiful. So yeah, yeah cool. great. great recommendation. Awesome. Cool. Good answer. Yeah. All right. Um, so now we can get into the business stuff. So Lloyd, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you started um, giving your background a little bit, but do you want to talk a little bit more about Marlin Technologies and kind of what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. Marlin is a, uh, a really uh, great small-ish manufacturer, kind of small on the way into what I would consider medium. Um, We're located in Horicon, Wisconsin, is where our factory is and has been for quite some time. Our current ownership has owned it for, it'll be 25 years next year, so it's extremely stable. And in that time has recently gone from one generation of ownership to the next, and it's incredibly smooth. So, um, so that's great. We manufacture electronics for off-highway vehicles. So if you think about uh, keypads and buttons and input-output controllers and all kinds of industrial stuff that you never see on a vehicle if you're using it or seeing it on the road, it's what makes those vehicles actually work. So Mm -hmm. we're turning on uh, lights, horns, hydraulics, motors, auxiliary equipment, and things like that. So it's a great, great company. Love being here. And uh, my job is director of sales and marketing. So I've got a relatively small uh, sales and marketing team. And then we go to market not only directly, but also through several manufacturers reps. And uh, so working with those reps who are selling on our behalf to um, to secure new business and, and you know, keep our uh, current customers happy. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I think um, working on a small team, I'm interested in just having this conversation with you to see how you prioritize kind of when you perform these strategic planning or doing a SWOT analysis, then what comes out of that? How do you identify like might be a lot of things. So how do you pick, you know, what's the main priority? So yeah, I think that's very relatable to a lot of marketing teams and manufacturing companies. So, (laughs) all right. Um, So we can just go ahead and get started then with talking about SWOT Mm -hmm. analysis. So um, I want to just start with the kind of introductory 101 what is a SWOT analysis? And you can just describe this in, you know, your own words and in your own experience, what a SWOT analysis is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm not a strategy savant by any stretch. So whatever I say, you know, <laughs> take the grain of salt, put your own, your listeners should put their own interpretation on all of it. But SWOT, uh, you know, pretty, pretty st- simple strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Um, and it's, it's one of the tried and true strategic tools to look at um, a company's competitive position and really set some of the direction for that they should go in. Um, with that said, it's a pretty rudimentary tool. It's kind of the first one, I think probably because it has a really easy to remember acronym. Um, but it, it gives you a little bit of a combination of internal analysis and external analysis. And that's that's pretty good. So the strengths and weaknesses are really internally focused on what are we good at? Mm-hmm. What are we less good at? How do we interpret that compared to our competition? Because that's what we're competing with. And then the opportunities and threats side, that's more of an external analysis saying, where's the market going? How are things changing? Uh, maybe a competitor has introduced a feature or a, 
a different plan that was perhaps new or, or uh, being exploited in some way? Do we need to respond to that? So, mm -hmm. cool. Sure. And when do you think, and I'm kind of thinking because we're approaching 2024, when's a good time to perform a SWOT analysis? Like, is it something you would recommend or do every single year? Or is it more like when you just are introduced to a company, you'd like to do it? Or how do you, how do you decide when a good time is? Yeah, I think you have to do them regularly. And I was thinking about this quite a bit because, you know, with this discussion about SWOT per se, it is kind of the rudimentary tool. Yeah. It's it's the beginning, right? And that's right. fine. It's great. Um, but it is generally also only one of the tools that one might, you know, look at from a competitive standpoint. And it's not the be all and end all. Mm -hmm. With that said, one of the reasons that all of these tools have to be refreshed is that things change. And they, I think they changed in today's business world at least as fast as ever before. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, doing a, doing a SWOT periodically, at least annually, I think is a, an instructive thing. You may come up with the same things as you did last year, but you may not. And if you're paying attention to what's happening in the external environment, um, likely there'll be some new things. Um, hopefully you've made progress on some things that might have been weaknesses to get them at least to be neutral. Um, hopefully you found a way to amplify some of the things that have been strengths and take advantage of them and compete well based on those strengths. Um, so I think that periodically is is really good. I think annually is is kind of a, a minimum. And I think that also it's it's a good tool. It's easy to do. And it's it's a matter of just taking a half a step back from some of those trees, looking a little bit more at the forest and saying, OK, what do we see happening? And that can get prompted by a competitive development um, or a breakthrough in your own R&D department or somebody comes up with a new idea. What would we do with that? Well, I don't know. Let's let's think about where that fits into our overall competitive strategy and consider, is that a big deal? Maybe it's a big deal internally, technically, whatever, but maybe to the market, it's not. Okay. That's good to know. And, the, you know, those kind of tools, like us, including a SWAT can help you sort that out. Sure. Yeah. I think um, one of the questions we'll get to is kind of outcomes from doing a SWOT analysis. And so you mentioned that there's, there's other frameworks that might be, I don't know, that might dive a little bit deeper, I guess. So uh, we can talk a little bit about that too later on about what that sure. might feed into. So um, another question I had, um, because you had mentioned this when we first started talking talking about doing this episode, is the difference between what you learn about a SWOT analysis in school, and I know you have your MBA, um, versus in actual uh, application. So do you want to elaborate a little bit more on, on what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, all the all the young engineers that I work with would tell me that my MBA was from 1912. So it's <laughs> a ago. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a SWOT is like kind of the entry level tool. But then there's other ways to look at strategy mm -hmm. framework. Right. So, the, you know, classically, you'd go to Porter's five force analysis, which looks at competitive forces. And is this a good sector to be in or not? Um, there's uh Oh, gosh, there's all kinds of portfolio matrices. There's the Boston Consulting Group had a famous one uh, back when GE was a super esteemed company. They they had their own competitive matrix and big enough that all the, the big business schools did that. Um, people like Miles and Snow published uh, uh, different roles or, or ways that you wanted to behave in a market, whether you're a prospector or a defender or analyzer, uh, uh, reactor, things like that. So those are all different strategic strategic frameworks to look at what is going on in your market how are you competing mm -hmm. 
A lot of those, however, are really organized more for the larger company. You know, for somebody who's saying, hey, I've got a 25% market share and I want to be 30 or I've got a 40%, I want to be 70, whatever it is. Right. When you're a small manufacturer, I think unless you're in a really niche world, you're often, you know, in a who cares what your market share is because that's not a relevant <laughs> question, right? I mean, you know, we're we're a 60 person company. We're really happy with that. We're on our way to 100. We're growing at a really great rate, and it's a it's an awesome thing to do. But are we dominating the you know large percent market share in electronic controls in the world? No, we're not. I mean, we're competing against global multinationals that right. have billions and billions in sales, and you know, that's not us. Awesome. Right. Right. Um, the other thing that's interesting, and SWAT fills a little bit into this, um, but especially those other frameworks, they were all developed in a time when people really drove toward a sustainable competitive advantage. You hear that talked about a lot, SCAs, sustainable competitive advantage. Yeah, in the last, I would say, 20 years, people have really walked away from that. And it's not because you don't need a competitive advantage. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. you look for those things in general. But that that word that gets tricky is sustainable because Mm -hmm. the pace of change, the pace of information uh, sharing, you know, since the Internet and whatever else, it's so quick that you think you're going to take this strategic analysis and and uh, and come up with a plan. And that's going to be our five year plan. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Works. I mean, people now talk. Yeah, people talk more about transient competitive advantage. And that yeah. that's an area where I think SWAT does lend more opportunity because it is simpler, it's quicker. And it's like, okay, let's just make the leap from what we see on those four quadrants of a SWOT analysis mm-hmm. to, okay, then what are we going to do? Because mm-hmm. you have to do it. If you don't do it quickly, then it's going to be irrelevant. Yeah. yeah, your advantage is already gone while you're figuring out right. what it is. Well, it emphasizes yeah. your earlier point too. Because in my mind, I was like, oh, you maybe only have to do this I don't know, every couple of years, <laughs> like now I'm seeing, <laughs> yeah, like maybe once a quarter even to introduce this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if you do it that fast, if you do it quarterly, you'd have to ask yourself whether you're thinking big enough um, because sure. I don't know too. I mean, we're in electronics that changes fairly quickly, um, but not that quickly. It's, it's yeah. more of a yearly thing. Yep. Yearly. Okay. Did you know? We're nimble. We're not that nimble. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> um, cool. So I want to talk a little bit about then some of the components that go into uh, performing a SWOT analysis. So mm-hmm. from my understanding, there's the, like you said, internal and external factors. And the internal is the strength and weaknesses, correct? Yes. Yep. <laughs> so um, I guess to start, like, I think I know the answer, but for everyone listening, what would you describe as like an internal factor? Well, I think it's it's the things that the competencies that you're really good at. So, for example, in our company right now, we have a, a really excellent competency in great engineering. We do great electronic design and software writing and all that stuff that really gets to the um, needs that our customers have. And we do that in a very not only do we do a good job of designing it and building it, but we also do a phenomenal job of servicing that customer afterwards. So we are we skew much more toward like a customer intimacy, com- uh, competitive, uh, you know, value proposition. Mm-hmm. So we're we're selling, we're making components that go into industrial equipment. So call it construction industry, things like that, on skid steers or telehandlers or things. Um, yeah, we make a we make a great, comp- you know, a, a great component, and it can be complicated. 
it'll work exactly the way it's been told to work. It does exactly what, it, you know, it's one of the great things about electronics. They do exactly what you tell them to do. But there are many, many complexities about it. And we can have customers who call us up and they say, hey, I don't really get it. I don't think it's working right. We would do a, do a tremendous amount of support. We have a, a, a team of some of the best troubleshooters I've ever seen who really do an excellent job of understanding the customer's machines. They understand what the situation is. And, and we go and deliver that to them, whether it's remotely or on site, we, we are extremely aggressive about saying, oh, okay, I don't really understand from, from afar what that is. We'll be on a plane tomorrow and we'll get there and we'll solve it. And you know, nine times out of 10, it has nothing to do with our product. It's to do with the environment that it's in. But until yeah. sometimes until you're there on the machine looking at it, you can't really understand what that is. Um, that's a strength that we have. So we're mm -hmm. looking internally at our company and saying, what do we deploy as something that we're really quite good at? Mm -hmm. um, I think that when you do that analysis for a SWAT, it's really important to be very cross-functional on the inputs to a SWOT analysis. In other words, I'm in charge yeah. of sales and marketing. Well, that's neat, but that doesn't mean that the way I look at what Marlon does is the way that Marlon right. does those things, right? So we, right. we, you know, we actually did one recently as doing strategic planning, as you indicated. You know, the year is coming rapidly to a close. It's, it snowed here the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, we pull our operations person into that, pull our engineering person into that, pull our HR person into that, you know, what are the things that we're good at mm -hmm. across all functions? And we, I think having having that breadth of input into that process is really important. Um, sometimes I'll bring my sales and marketing team into giving input there. I mean, um, you know, they're, they're, we're all hearing and experiencing things, hearing different things and experiencing our competitiveness differently. So I think hearing those different voices is very important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Just bringing in all departments into this because that customer experience, like it's important that your sales and marketing team knows what that customer experience really looks like, even though they might not have their hands in that ever, but that's something that in their marketing and their messaging and, and their sales pitches, they need to know all about that. So yeah, that makes sense. Exactly. And one of the great things about bringing people in, and sometimes you'll find out that, oh, one department thinks a little bit differently than a different department. And you start to wonder, well, why is that? And mm -hmm. are there information asymmetries? Are there things that one department knows that the other department ought to know, but they don't? Mm -hmm. um, right. and so you can start to break down some information silos, which is always a, you know generally a good thing. So. So how do you, I guess this is not in our discussion guide, but just curious, how do you like facilitate those kinds of discussions? Do you bring each department lead or head together and, and maybe prep them with questions beforehand of like, here's what we're going to talk about and discuss and then just hear what their input is? Yeah, I think most people understand the basics of, of the, the four aspects of SWAT, right? Mm -hmm. So that's fairly straightforward. I think what I've had the best success with is ask everybody to do that you know and there's no graphic nature to it it's just sure. you know list your strengths list your weaknesses and then have one person compile that all together and then the the best part is then if you put that all out there kind of in a classical brainstorm you're not editing that you're not saying well i think that's dumb i'm not going to put it on the list you don't, right. you don't do that right um but then having a group process to say well what did you mean by that and can you explain that more and i think sometimes that process of uh, a combined discussion can really strengthen the overall, you know, coming together as, okay, if we, you know, as a management team or as a, 
um, a team of people in in the company, what do we really think and what do we mean by that? Because if somebody's super busy and they're doing it, you know, off the cuff or whatever, they they may not choose words that are exactly perfect. And mm-hmm. so right. sometimes pulling on that string a little bit to say, well, what did you mean by that is, is a pretty yeah. useful thing. Yeah. And then you'll find that maybe it actually overlaps with something someone else had said, but if they just framed it or said it in a different way. Or when you're together, then that can lead to uh, or maybe or organic development of something that didn't show up on anybody's list. But having talked about it, you start to say, well, yeah, what about this also mm-hmm. that we're not great at or we are great at or whatever? So, yeah, definitely. So you mentioned kind of pulling in different departments to kind of support this um, SWOT analysis, I guess. So I guess beyond departments, what other areas do you look at internally to identify strengths and weaknesses? I mean, customer feedback is a critical thing, right? So if you're doing a good job of tracking, what do they think of us? Um, And it may be in an NPS survey or it might be in something else. Those are good sources of data. It might be looking at your, you know, if you're logging, if you're doing a decent job of logging, what kind of, in our business, we do a lot of field service. So we send, we send some really technical people out into the field. And if we can capture what they're learning, Mm -hmm. that's telling us some things that we might not otherwise understand. Or when they go on that trip, they, they spend, you know, a day or two at a customer. Well, guess what? They have dinner, they have lunch. They're usually not doing that alone. And then you learn other things at that, you know, time too. So helping pulling you know that that information in certainly sales information is very important like i mentioned earlier we go to market through um partially through manufacturers representatives so, so those are not our employees they're people that are they're paid on commission to sell our stuff well they have a different take on on how we present to the market and what mm-hmm. they see and how that compares with other product lines that they represent. So they, they see strengths and weaknesses too. So I think yeah. just being, you know, you kind of look at all of your stakeholders and you figure out what, what makes sense. Cool. Awesome. All right. Um, well then moving on to looking at external factors. So that is your opportunities and threats. Um, same kind of question. Where do you start looking as far as getting information, information on external factors that would affect that? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the bigger challenge, um, especially in a technical field. I think that it's very tricky to really sort out what are the influences that are truly opportunities or threats. Or and right. there's a lot of red herrings out there. I mean, there's a lot of things that okay, that's that's an issue, but a maybe not very. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guesswork. Yeah, yeah. What, do, what do people say? You know, engineers when they go into sales or marketing, they're like, that's just liquor and guessing. So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, it's only half true. You can figure out which which half. Um, so, uh, you know, trade shows are a good source of that. Looking at especially mm-hmm. places where not only we're maybe we're exhibiting or maybe we aren't, but especially if you can see what your competitors are talking about and, and shows yeah. are a good place for that. I mean, obviously there's website searches in that, but that's that's great. It's not the richest stream of data ever, but it's it's good. Mm-hmm. You can sneak onto your competitor's mailing list and get their propaganda. I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you listen to what are they talking about? How are they talking about it? How are they positioning it? Certainly in a technical field, you're, you're always on the hunt for what's the next technical innovation, right? And mm-hmm. those can be both opportunities and threats. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to look at that not only us directly versus our competitors, but looking at our customers and in their world, 
what's the next disruptor that's coming, right? I mean, if you were doing strategy in a taxi cab company and you didn't see Uber coming, you know, you got crushed, right? Right. At least for a while until you stole their technology and deployed it as taxi right. cabs are us. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but they probably lost, you know, five or 10 years in the, in the traditional cab industry of just not competing well because there was a total disruption. And they, mm-hmm. what they didn't realize is that people wanted a completely different user experience and we'd all pay more to do it on our phone and not have to hail a cab. Yeah. Right. Um, I think that the trade show thing is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Just as simple as just walking around and looking at what competitors are there promoting. Because obviously you're going to bring, you know, your latest and greatest best product to okay. that trade show or put strategy around it. Um, so taking a look at that. And I think that's like the traditional way in my mind. And then on, on the digital side, um, a lot of times what we'll take a look at is just what kinds of, um, you know, keyword targets do people have on certain websites or what types of new products are they trying to promote? Like, where are they putting their marketing money yep. toward, I mm-hmm. guess, you know? Yeah. Go ahead, Lloyd. No, I think those are really excellent points because, yeah, obviously trade shows are a funny thing, aren't they? I mean, we all, digital was eroding a lot of trade shows. And I think trade shows were sort of in a, a gentle slide mm-hmm. down and then COVID. Yeah. So it was a full restart. Right. And I don't know what you guys have experienced since then, but I've seen more people at trade shows in the past year than I had probably five years ago. Right. I right. Think it's a dual factor. There's a total like dip. And then, like, people wanted COVID to be almost... back in person. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, COVID crushed trade shows for a couple right. of years. Right. right? But then it, it almost kind of led to more demand. Like you're saying, like people mm-hmm. were like, oh, you know what? I do want to get out there and, and talk to right. people in the real world. Well, if you and, have yeah. like a oh, physical sure. product too, there's so much value in having someone actually look and see it, that product in person versus trying to describe it or show it virtually it's just impossible absolutely i mean look at the wimts that we just and we just did a podcast about it last week about our our time there and Mm -hmm. like just seeing all of those products firsthand like i couldn't even imagine some of those companies that were there and the products they were showing like how you even replicate that in a digital way (laughs) like there's no there's no way to understand some of that stuff without seeing it firsthand yeah and everybody everybody had an involuntary you know forced effort to do a digital trade show or whatever right i don't know what your all experience my experience was not amazing you know yeah i I can't i have not talked to one person who said that uh, right (laughs) yeah so i I think that drove people to go back in person when they can and Mm -hmm. you know health whatever but it's I think that that people have got a, a maybe a renewed understanding and appreciation for the, you know what, when you walk around, you see things that you weren't looking for that you didn't know you're interested in. And I think that's where a lot of things happen. I mean, we, again, we make industrial controls. So walk in the utility show a few weeks ago, Holy cow, there, there's so many different utility trucks and cranes and you name it that are there. Right. And you start to look at, well, how are they controlling that? What are the, what are they using? What's their user interface? Well, how are they, you know, how are they managing their way and what are their competitive issues? And that starts to give the, it feeds the, 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 the idea funnel for what's an actual opportunity. Whoa, you know, we could right. do that and that'd be cool. That's, was, that's where a lot of those ideas come from. Yeah. I was just talking to my wife about this the other day. Something you just said there kind of triggered this, like how efficient are grocery shopping and like uh, my wife's <laughs> target runs have gotten where you know, you're ordering online and you're going and picking it up. You're, you're typing in exactly what you want and then they're delivering it to your car for you. Mm-hmm. Like what that has done to the idea of like 
add-on purchases just from going into the store, right? Like grabbing something while you're at the register or seeing something that's mm -hmm. like on sale or something that you didn't need originally. I saved so much money yeah. ordering for pickup. I, <laughs> I, I, I would guess like you have to like, there has yeah. to be numbers on that, right? That yeah. like that, that like the stuff you didn't need or the stuff you didn't think about, like the sales got to mm -hmm. be down. But then also maybe they're up just because it's so convenient to be able to shop more frequently online perhaps but you know just no matter what it is with the technology chat i know you've got little kids who so do not miss out on the experience of standing in the checkout line at the grocery store and having them just torture you for all the candy that's in there. <laughs> that's critical if you miss that experience you've really missed out on part of life so. i think i dodged a bullet there <laughs> i bet i bet no, I think that's the reason why, like when you do a grocery pickup, they're always, you know, out of stock of at least one or two items. I think it's just to get you to come in there, you know, like yeah. I'll go there countless times and they're, the thing I was looking for is there. They're just getting me to come in to look for it. I mm -hmm. guess. But yeah, yeah, that's funny. Um, there's one other thing I want to touch on on trade shows mm -hmm. too, which so you had mentioned how it's much easier, I think, to identify internal factors just because you have that like customer data that they're trusted and you know their pain points, you talk to them every day. Whereas on the flip side, externally, you it's much more difficult to get those like consumer insights. So I think also trade shows can be useful for gathering that because I mean, the trade show we were just at, there really weren't that many competitors there for us to necessarily mm -hmm. spy on. But I felt, especially what we were doing at our booth, we were getting so much information for manufa from manufacturers who are not our customers, just about their challenges and pain points. And we actually uh, introduced the podcast and did little interviews with them to kind of talk about what's exciting in manufacturing. And that was my like biggest takeaway from going to that trade show is we just learned so much from, I guess it's kind of consumer insights because we were able to talk to so many people we wouldn't normally get to meet. So exactly. I think that's mm -hmm. that's one of the critical things. I mean, when you look at opportunities and threats, you're trying to get outside of your own building, right? You're trying mm -hmm. to you're trying to uh, whether you have a building or you're virtual or whatever, you're trying to get out in the external world. And then if you're physically doing that, I think that's good. And, you know, it, you you want to leverage the things that your own physical sales force are experiencing, whether they're doing, you know, online selling or whether they're doing telephone selling or they're you're, you know, literal, you know, on the road traveling salespeople they're having conversations that are really valuable. And if you can help them listen for contribution, not just to make that sale today, but also to say, well, what are we seeing? What are we hearing? That's a very important thing. And it's, you know, you're generally not comping your, your sales reps on, well, what competitive insight did you give me? But mm -hmm. that's a really important part of that experience. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, so I feel like we have a, a solid understanding now of the foundation of a SWOT analysis and what internal and external factors are. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit more or ask you a little bit more about the actual kind of process and applications. So um, the first one, and I mean, we've kind of touched on this, so if there's anything missing, just chime in, but what are some of the steps that you typically take to put a SWOT analysis together? I know you mentioned obviously bringing all the department heads together and having those initial conversations, maybe talk through kind of like what happens then after that brainstorming conversation. Well, I think that's where a lot of companies do get stuck is you do a SWOT and you feel, oh, I did my strategy, but then what? Right. right? I mean, in the right. end, the then what has to translate, has to translate into actions that are going to be deployed either through 
through your marketing efforts, through your sales efforts, hopefully both of those together, how are you going to leverage if you have something that is a competitive strength, what are you going to do about it? Right. right. What, what materials are going to help your salespeople tell that story better? Um, we have physical salespeople, so that's a, that's a thing. But if you're selling online, that's that's how you telling that story. What are you doing out there? How are, how are you doing that? If you have a weakness, how are you going to mitigate that? What is the answer when the customer raises that? That's going to show up as an objection, most likely. They're going to say, oh, yeah, what about this that you don't have, that you mm-hmm. stink at, whatever. You have to give your team what's the party line and how do you handle that and how do you help your salespeople redirect that to a more productive you know, process with that customer, helping them put that into context of whether it is or isn't important. And that's just the, the really easy, you know, how do you go to market with what you now have identified as something that you know. But then the other part is saying, well, if that's a weakness that's significant, maybe we ought to address that. Maybe we ought to try to shore that up. Maybe we ought mm-hmm. to try to come up with a, uh, an offering that addresses it, a feature set or, or whatever that would be. Um, so I think that's where the rubber meets the road. And I think that's where a lot of it's easy to, to, I guess, to make assumptions about big companies have more time or they have more resources to do things. And yeah, in contexts, that's true. They're also not sitting on free people laying around with nothing to do either. So <laughs> everybody's really busy. Um, but in small companies, you can often do the SWAT, you talk about it, and then you get busy with something else and you don't really act on it. And I think that's a mess, right? So you, you really try to yeah. have the managerial discipline to say, okay, so let's address, maybe we can't address all six of these weaknesses, but let's pick two, let's pick three, right. let's focus on those. Maybe we we'll give a more cursory answer for those other ones so that we don't get caught super flat. But mm-hmm. how do you address that and what's your overall plan? The advantage of the analysis and the group that's hopefully kind of cross-functional coming together is you get some alignment on what are we working on? Mm-hmm. How are we going to have that information face the customer? How are we not going to have that information face the customer? And what are we, what are we going to do about it so that when we do a SWOT analysis a year from now, it's not the same strengths and weaknesses? Right. So kind of, yeah. 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 I think um, it's interesting, too, because it, it like you mentioned before, it goes beyond sales and marketing because you might find things that's like, well, sales and marketing doesn't even touch this, but we have this customer experience issue that we clearly need to address. And if we're pitching this on the sales side or saying this is what we're do- we do, but this is not what we're doing, then you, it gives you the opportunity then for other departments to address other internal issues that might be going on yeah. too. Absolutely. It really helps with product development and service development and things. And it doesn't have to be products, right? If you're if you're doing a service delivery, you still have strengths and weaknesses. What are we great at? What are we not great at? Yeah. Right. Um, when it comes to collecting data, I mean, we've talked about a few, I guess, touch points. Obviously, the customer experience is one, using your customers and getting that uh, qualitative data, if you will. Um, also talking to your sales teams and hearing what kind of conversations they're having with prospects. Are there any other, I guess we'll call them data sources or, or points that you use to gather information or any even tools that you use? Yeah, I mean, you, you always ask yourself the question, is it worth buying one of the what always feels like super expensive industry reports and things right. like that? I mean, there there are third party research that you can get, um, my opinion, with with relatively technical, relatively small to medium sized companies and somewhat narrowly defined Niche. niches. Yeah. I've, I have never found those reports to be particularly interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that an engaged workforce is better 
um, yeah. in terms of knowing that. Uh, do you miss things from? Yeah, sure you could. But um, looking at macro trends is great. Um, we were exhibiting at a show recently, and I've never had this happen before. The the keynote, one of the keynote speakers for the opening breakfast, it was a you know fifty dollar breakfast or whatever you paid for to go to. It was like a general economist, and was I've never those guys usually are an excellent cure mm -hmm. for insomnia. This guy was great. And really? He, yeah, he was great. I mean, he boiled it down into that industry. Oh, this is what we see coming in the next eighteen months. It's going to oh, be cool. like this, then it's going to be like that, and it was. It was really instructive and it, it did tie to what we see in some of our customer behavior mm -hmm. um, and it opens opened our eyes into into what's possible. So that was that was. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, again, being being active in the industry and just kind of active listening and having an idea that you're going to be doing strategy analysis based on what you know. Well, you better know some things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Like just being in person with people, going to networking events, trade shows, things like that. I think that's a really good way to just do your own research and just have actual conversations with people versus looking at like just data points and a spreadsheet or something. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you, you can you can buy these reports. They range mm -hmm. anywhere from five to fifteen thousand dollars and mm -hmm. there'll be, you know, several hundred pages of graphs and tables that mm, I usually if whenever I've looked at them, I found that 90 percent of it was not relevant to what we do. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't feel like that was a good spend. I'd rather I'd rather go to a show and spend the rest of the money on digital marketing, right? Isn't you guys would be on board with that? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a good approach. Good. We're cool with that. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Definitely. Um, kind of last question on, I guess, the, the actual process of doing a SWOT analysis. What are some common roadblocks that you've encountered when putting something like this together? I mean, groupthink is always the biggest one, right? It's it's we know what we know and we know and we don't yeah. have to we don't have to ask that question because we know. Do you? you right. know, so I think always challenging your assumptions is and that's hard because you have people that maybe have made organizational decisions or investments based on a certain understanding, which may have been true when they did that. But a couple of years makes a big difference in what's right. happening in the world. Right. So, um, you know, one technology platform, it can get leapfrogged. Right. So that's that's a real thing. And just being able to gently challenge those things. And I say mm -hmm. gentle because you don't want to break the people that are involved if you bash them on the head too hard. Good. So, just a little nudge. Yeah. Yeah. Small hammer is good. So, um, yeah. So I, th I think that's the biggest barrier. And mm -hmm. then. And then devoting, I think, enough open-ended time to the process. Um, again, I think SWOT is, is one part of a process, and it can be a good almost discussion opener. But then having enough time to really go through, well, what, where should we be going? And not having that be, you know, we only have this room for three more hours, so we got to pound this. Mm, that may not lend you to the best process. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's hard to take away from the ridiculous number of things that are required to be done every day to do the bigger picture strategy. Right. But if you don't do the bigger picture, the, the sadly, the other things that you need to do start going away too. So, um, right. you know, you, you got to get the strategy right. And, and I think when I say that, I say you have to get the strategy right, but you don't have to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. um, you have to get on the right direction. And then I forget which general is probably Patton, you know, is the, give me a plan that I can, a good plan that I can explosively execute is much better than a perfect plan that's too late. Yeah. Right. And that's really important. So, so analysis paralysis is a thing. So. Yes. 
It's a little too relatable, Lloyd. <laughs> I was just, I, I could see your face, Anne. As you, as Lloyd was saying that, I could see your face. Yes. I always we have to remind myself. Of, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we're in the thick of planning for next year right now, and it's yeah. uh, that's hitting a little close to home for sure. Well, yeah. you never know everything you'd like to know. Right. You know, if you try to know the majority of it, you're probably doing just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then trust your, you know, if you have good leaders who've been around for a little bit, trust your intuition. You'll probably get it right. But yeah. just challenge one another and, you know, not in a bad way, but I mean, just to stretch your boundaries a little bit and then you'll have a good conversation. And then you've got a set of information that you can all play from the same place from and develop a, a way to move forward together. And I think that's that's usually the where, where you get the most out of it. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. exactly. And I think just from our standpoint, historically, we try to plan almost too much and, and you know, try mm-hmm. to think ahead too far. And then we get into it and nothing really gets done because we've. We have to deviate right away from that yeah. plan. <laughs> exactly. You know? Exactly. I literally was, I was you know, I'm, I was cleaning some stuff out for old old work files that I had at home and, and whatever. And I was, and I literally last week I found it was an old strategic analysis. It was really rigorous. It was probably twenty or twenty five years old. I didn't yeah. think God I didn't do it. It was literally two hundred sixteen pages. <laughs> no one ever page a day. There's no way that anybody ever looked at that. Yeah. Wow. No. Yeah. It's like you, then you just over plan. Give me a two right. pager, please. Yeah. Yep. yeah exactly. Yeah. I constantly have to remind myself progress, not perfection. Because, right. yep. yeah, as long as you're making progress, it's yeah. like you said, much better than having the perfectly formulated plan, but then it's way too late. Yeah. Right. Which you're mm-hmm. probably going to throw away most of it, anyways. When, yeah. When you have to pivot. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think one of the things when you when you talk about strategy and frameworks and things, the, like SWOT is one. We talked about some other ones. Yeah. But really where that's taking you to is what kind of relationships do you ha- want to have out there? What kind of supplier relationships do you need? What kind of mm-hmm. customer relationships do you need? How do sure. you how do you deploy those things? I think that's a lot of where the rubber meets the road. And there's there's a ton of literature um, on, you know, business canvas and lean startup and things like that. Those are, those are great and much more contemporary frameworks for how to run a business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not everybody needs to do a SWOT analysis because they need to reframe their entire business, but it does give good discussion points about, all right, what are we trying to do here? And how, how do we do this in a way that makes the most sense without coming up with the 216 page report? So, I think that that's, that's pretty good. You know, channels of market, customer relationships, revenue streams, and where's it coming from? Mm-hmm. And, and that's where some of those opportunities can really pay off. Yeah, definitely. Um, thinking a little bit more specifically towards sales and marketing, what can SWOT analysis and some of the other ones you've mentioned, um, how might your sales and marketing strategy be influenced by those? Yeah, a lot, a lot of messaging. You know, it's it's really how do we want to talk about this? What do we want to talk about? I mean, we make controllers that can, you know, control 50 different things, right? So what do you want to talk about that's innovative about that? Mm-hmm. And how do you, you know, we want to choose the things that are strengths, amplify those. Like I said, we wanted to have the, the, the sales team armed with the information so they know how to deal with a weakness that we see. And how do we explore opportunities? If we think it's an opportunity, how, what information do we want to get to vet? Is that really an opportunity? Is that something that we should be going after? Well, let's let's take a couple of baby steps in that direction and figure out, can we get some data, some real world data about, well, what if we develop this solution for that opportunity? Does that work? Does that play in Peoria or does it not? And that is a way to kind of validate 
some of the things that we've seen. So I think that when you articulate it through a strategic analysis, um, I think it gives you the things that you want to test and verify and figure out, mm, is that a thing or not? Or, and you can do the same with threats, right? If somebody, right. if a competitor is saying, oh, it's this great thing, and you talk to four customers and they all like, I don't care, right. then that's not really a threat, right? right. And that happens. Mm -hmm. so, Definitely. Yeah, I think that makes sense. The messaging and just how you're positioning yourself is going to be most heavily impacted by all this. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I want to kind of end on where we started. You mentioned that you are on a smaller marketing team, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? Yep. So for you, I think this is relatable for a lot of manufacturers um, or marketers in manufacturing companies. How do you then prioritize? Because like you said, there's a lot that can come out of a SWOT analysis or any sort of strategic planning meeting. Yeah, way too much. So how do you navigate that or kind of pare down to the essentials and what the biggest priorities are? Yeah, I think that's where the, the hard work comes uh, of figuring out, all right, what time frame can this happen in? What are the resources we have? And yeah, we're we're small right now. We have uh, we've had a marketing intern, and we've out outsourced everything else to an agency. And you know, there's some areas where that works super well, and other areas where not as well. And looking at if if as a management team we want to accomplish these, you know, nine things, well, then how do we resource that? If we don't want to right. make that resource investment, then okay, what does that mean? And then that means that maybe nine becomes three, and, and we try those things, or or maybe those other six. We just do a little bit of testing and, and we'll come back to that later. So, um, it, but it, it's a struggle. I mean, yeah, I, I'd love to say there's a magic there's bullet. A, right. There's, there's no easy, there's no easy no. way to find out what the biggest focus should be for sure. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, I'm not sure that's a great answer, but that's the only one I've got oh, after that's okay. a million years of work. It was kind of, I was <laughs> curious to see, honestly. It's a like, true answer. It's exactly. I was like, I think that. I don't know the valid. Not that you said I don't know, but like I think it's totally valid to say you just kind of have to wing it sometimes. <laughs> you got to kind of figure it out, and that's where that's where if you know your business, you know your business, you know your right. customer set, you know your channels of market. How can you get some things done, maybe with a little less effort, but maybe a little smarter effort, mm -hmm. um, so that you don't have to break the bank and hire you know three right. people because that's not going to happen. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just what do you need? What do you need to do? Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're going through a situation now of evaluating. You know. Do can we do some things with somebody on staff for, that, for some things that we have outsourced in the past? So maybe um, depends what those things are. Um, right. You know, if, if it doesn't require, you know, I look at SEO and PPC. I'm never bringing that in house because if you're not doing that every morning and every afternoon, so that you can know what's different in that environment in the afternoon from the morning, you're not going to be good at it. So we're never going to do that. Um, but it's more of like. Some of our, you know, a little bit of brand management, a little bit of uh, just kind of blocking and tackling things that could be done by, a, a, you know, somebody yeah. that we could bring on. Right. I think a lot of it is probably just like gut and instinct and just common sense, <laughs> which comes back to there's, no, there's again, no formula for it. But yeah, liquor, liquor and guessing that works. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Definitely. Cool. Well, that is pretty much all the questions that I had for awesome. you today, Lloyd, on this topic. Anything else you wanted to add, either Chad or you, Lloyd, before we wrap up? I just really appreciate being, you know, having a conversation with you guys. You guys are, are bright people and I've enjoyed working with you in the past and hope to do so oh, in the future. Thanks. So it's a pleasure oh, to, to be on your show. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. 
Yeah, yeah. thank you. Thank and you I was, for coming. Yeah, this has mm -hmm. been awesome. I was thinking too, we have to schedule our like biannual lunch. <laughs> Something like yeah, that. It's exactly. time for sure. Well, I won't forget my wallet um, this time. Pretty, pretty sure yeah. it's my turn, Chad. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I won't pull that trick um, twice. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Lloyd. Um, also, just shout out to Marlin Technologies. So if anyone listening thinks that you know, Marlin Technologies might be the right fit for them, um, that's marlintech.com, correct? Marlintech.com. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, cool. Um, and then are you doing like any trade shows or events coming up that we should highlight or shout out? We walk, we walk a lot of shows. We have only historically been exhibiting at one per year because we found that's a good ROI for us. Um, so right now it's that, but our website is uh, doing a nice job of, uh, of talking about what we do. We've launched a pile of new products and um, we're enjoying it. Uh, we, got, we have a lot of things. So if someone's Looking for custom custom electronics for your off highway vehicle? You should call us. Awesome. Excellent. How's that for a niche? Perfect. <laughs> One final plug. Yep. Yeah, well, well, thank perfect. you guys so much again, and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, All right. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for joining us this episode of the Marketing Schematic. We hope you enjoyed listening, and will follow along by subscribing wherever you stream podcasts. You can also watch the full video and audio recording of this episode on our website at topfloortech.com.